Hello, everyone. This is Alicia Holliday, Executive Director of One. I'd like to welcome you to our Becoming a Nature Evolutionary webinar series. This is a series where we highlight people who are really pushing the edges of co-creative partnership with nature, really going deep into whatever their work and life draws them into. And these, um, the webinars in these series are always so interesting. And today's, I think, is going to be no exception. We're really excited today that, um, that we get to host two Visioning Council members of one, Jen Fry and Lillian Edwards, for communication with plants, heart-based practices for connecting with plant spirits. That this is also a book that Jen just released and had worked on for a number of years, and um, Lillian illustrated it. So even though they probably don't need any introduction in our community, let me give you a little information about each of them. So Jen Fry is a healer, mentor, and earth advocate. She's the founder of Bridget's Way and the co-steward of HeartSpring Sanctuary. Jen has over 20 years of experience with plant essences, energy work, and herbal practices. She has an apprenticeship certificate uh, program. She offers retreats, workshops, and consultations. And Jen has really dedicated her life to the spiritual path of plant work. Lillian is a plant spirit healer, a visual artist, and she's on a mission to mend the rift between the human consciousness and the ever accessible, loving, and wise presence of nature's intelligence. Her healing practice, Earth Prayer, was birthed from a deep desire to bring the plant spirits into writing, art, sharing flower essences, and serving her local community with plant spirit healing. And I was going to mention this at the end, but since Pam is here, I also wanted to mention that um, they both are longtime um, students and apprentices of Pam Montgomery, who is also one's founder and our earth elder. So welcome, Pam, for as long as you can be here today. Um, Jen, I, well, we know each other really well. So, <laughs> um, so this is, you know, fun today. And I just spent the last week reading your new book, which has been such an incredible, lovely journey. Um, and one of the things that I would love to start off with, if you would share, um, if you want to share a little story or an experience about how you fell in love with plants, how you came into such deep relationship with plants, and maybe you can have an experience where you look back now and go, oh, that's kind of when it started. So, um, so first, I just want to thank everyone for joining. I'm actually really emotional here because I see some old friends and people who've been walking this path with me for a long time. So, um, so thank you. And that is a really challenging question, Alicia. Because you know, I'm sorry. I thought, how would I answer that? I'm like, well, let's see what Jen can do. She just wrote a whole book about it. I did, and you know, so. Um, how I fell in love with plants, I, I really feel like I didn't have a choice. You know, my grandparents 
plants were just such a big part of their life. And I loved my grandparents. I spent a lot of time with both my um, maternal and paternal grandparents. They both work with plants very differently, but from such a young age, they really taught me about um, being in relationship with plants and, and the magic that they brought forward with, with my um, paternal grandfather. There's a lot of focus on blueberries and also in the woods, like, you know, he would, my, it, the funny thing to me is that he was actually a fundamental Christian, but he's really the one who got me to believe in fairies because he would go through the woods and hide quarters and say like, oh, the fairies were at play and I think they left you gifts. And so um, he made me feel, you know, I actually grew up in the suburbs. Actually, the first five years of my life was in the city and then I grew up in the suburbs, but my cousins lived in the woods. <laughs> Excuse me. And so my grandfather made me feel safe in the woods, whereas all the stories I was hearing is that you know, you can't eat wild plants. You have to be careful in the woods. You could get lost. Bad things could happen to you, wild animals. And that grandfather made me really feel safe and that the woods were a magical place. And my other grandfather taught me about the importance of singing and talking to plants and, um, and asking permission before we harvest them. And um, again, another form of magical way in that, um, it's our responsibility. Like he was an organic gardener from the beginning. Um, he had a lifetime subscription to organic gardening. And um, so he really taught me just how um, the relationship that we, we owed plants so much and we needed to take care of this earth. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I, for me, it's like, it's just been osmosis. Um, you know, the, the awakening one bit, I would say, I do talk about this in my book was that from a young age, I wanted to be one of the special people who talked to plants. Well, not talked to them, but received information from them, right? Mm -hmm. That it wasn't just the one way that, that I was experiencing. And um, I just always hoped, like, could I be good enough? Could I be special enough to have this? And I had several teachers who tried to teach me and it was always really complicated and it didn't make sense to me. And it just proved that I wasn't special enough. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, when my children were really young, we had a challenging time period. I had, you know, two young children. We took in our nephew who was 18 and the five of us were living in a 675 square foot house, um, but on a big farm. So the only time during the day that I had um, to myself was early mornings and I'd go out to the berries, particularly mulberry, mm -hmm. and I'd harvest them. And I would always, whatever problems I awoke with, I would always have solutions for by the time I came inside. And it took me a really long time. I'm almost embarrassed to say like how long it took me to realize that I was getting these solutions from the plants. But that was like my aha. It was like, oh, this is coming from mulberry. And then mulberry started challenging me and encouraging me to look at things differently. And um, once I had that realization, that's when I became passionate about helping others learn to communicate with plants because we just can, as Pam says all the time, it's our birthright, you know, so it's just, it's, we, we don't have to be special. We are special innately, but there's nothing wrong with us that um, keeps us from doing it. It's just, it's who we are and it's what we're meant to do. We're meant to be in communication and relationship with them. It's so beautiful that your grandfathers held such a spacious container for you. Yeah. Past that kind of that freedom, right? Right. That freedom to you and the ancestral knowledge to that 
I mean, that lived in you somewhere, even though it took until you had your own children. And Mulberry came in also like an elder. Right. Just to help you and encourage you along. Yeah. Um, the title of your book, but I just want to focus for a moment on the second part of that, which is um, like really the heart-centered practices. And um, can you share more about that, like being in the heart? And I created a little altar today for this. And right in the middle of that altar, have that beautiful illustration from your book, The Heart with the Plants. So can you speak? Oh, yeah, I can hear that you are having a coughing moment. <laughs> You're still muted. Are you still coughing? Okay, sorry. I forgot if I mute myself so I don't cough that I stay muted. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry about that. Um, you asked about heart, right? That's what you were asking. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. the second part of the title of your book is heart-based practices for connecting with plant spirits. Yeah. That tells me that this is really important. And of course, we know, many of us know. But one of the things I really have deeply appreciated about your book, Jen, is that you've put language or expanded on language to things that are or can be natural. So... Mm -hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit, heart-based? Yeah. Being in yes. Heart. So I think the reason why we put that in there is because in order to communicate with plants or, or have any good communication, communication with humans, we have to do it from our heart center, from being in our heart coherence. Mm -hmm. And, excuse me, um, you know, we do a lot of this work with one that's kind of the foundation of all of our courses is like getting into the heart and the importance of heart intelligence and how they're, there's physiological benefits, but also how it does help us connect in with nature. And um, so that's, and I can go deeper into that if you want. Um, I think that's why we named that, but also as you were asking that question, it, what's coming forward for me is that, yes, it is the heart that gets us there, but also the plants are helping us to be in our heart. You know, the plants naturally feed our heart. And that is the place that we need to be in to create a better world to like to be in this time of transformation to create the world of our dreams and to remember who we are it all stum it all comes from the heart and so um so that wasn't the intention why we said heart based it's because we start with we start with going into heart coherence but i think um you know it's there as well there's there's more reasons than what we realized why we named it that mm -hmm. And that kind of leads me into the next thing that I want to ask you and actually then bring Lillian in for this um, too, is um, can you share like, what is it, what does it feel like? What is it like to communicate with plants? So the feeling, the hearing, the seeing, the sensations, can you like share that experience? Yeah, I think that's also challenging. You're really good at challenging questions, Alicia. Well, you know who's leading this webinar, right? Which will get I totally, totally do. And so it's I say it's challenging because there's no one way. And I think that's one of the things that trips us up as humans is that 
we tend to think that there is a way that it should be. Like we want the technicolor, we want the loudspeaker. You know, the example I often say is the Moses and the burning bush. Like we just, we want to hear this booming voice that it's so clear. Mm-hmm. And so with, excuse me, with my book, with the workshops that we do, you know, we have multiple activities in them for you to engage with the plants. And the reasons there are one, each time, that you engage in one of these, it's another opportunity to receive information. So it's just broadening the ability for us to receive information. It's like going on multiple dates with a person. You're going to get to learn more about the person than you would in one date. But also in that time, we start to realize how we're receiving information and what it feels like to us. So for me personally, um, it varies, but often I do have sensations in my body. Um, they don't, they're not always pleasant. Sometimes it, it can bring up fear and it makes me want to run away. Fortunately, that doesn't happen most of the time, but I also think it's important to say that that does happen because I have students who have those experiences and then they internalize it again, like, cause our culture is so based on shame. So they ter- internalize it like, oh, there's something wrong with me. And that's what this is coming up. Whereas no, it's that the plants are giving us a clue as to how they can help us heal. Um, so I do have sensations. Often I hear, um, it's like my internal thoughts. You know, I, I get messages that way, but it's usually in language or a different tone than what my normal internal thoughts are, or it's something that I wouldn't even think about that it comes in. Um, and uh, sometimes I see images and, um, and sometimes those images don't make sense to me I, and I have to go figure them out. So that's, those are the main ways I, I get information and, and what it looks like, feels like to me. But again, one of the things is to discover how you receive information. So, you know, some of my students get songs, some get poems, um, you know, there's just, there's no, right or wrong way. It's however you receive the information. And then at the beginning, we're just trying to get whatever we get. And then we can bring discernment in later. And so we can then start to create a story, stitch the pieces together. What makes sense? What doesn't make sense? What do we want to put a question mark next to? And I think that's the important part because so often people want to do discernment at the very beginning. So they'll hear something and they wanna be like, oh no, that couldn't possibly be true. And um, and then in the end, they're like, oh, that actually was true, but I discounted it. So, um, so I just think that's important that we stay open to receiving however we receive, and then we can assign meaning later. Yeah, thanks, Jen. Yeah, you, I'm gonna circle back to some of the things you said, but Lillian, um, as such a connected plant essence person. And as an artist, I really want to field this question to you too. Like, how do you experience communication with plants? And what does that look, feel like? Like, what happens for you? Thanks for asking this question, Alicia. And I definitely want to echo a lot of Jen's sentiments that it can feel a lot of different ways like um right in this moment I brought this really gorgeous rose ally to sit with us and be a part of this um time together and just as Jen started speaking about heart communication and being in relationship with the plants 
through the heart, a bee just came and dove into that flower. And then my heart started getting so bubbly and open feeling. That's plant community. I mean, that's nature communication, right? Um, also, when I'm just out outside, like noticing who's catching my attention, like who's really speaking to me every time I walk past or has this kind of shiny glow around them. Like to me, that's the first moments of connection between the two of us. And then I know, okay, like I'm going to pay more attention, maybe sit with you, maybe spend more time together. Um, yeah, personally, one method that I feel really strongly works with my system and who I am is connecting with the plant spirit in a shamanic journey state. So this kind of starts to weave into my process with illustrating these beautiful plant spirit portraits for Jen's book. For every one of the plants in the book, um, before I did the illustration, I would lay down on my couch and have an eye, you know, mask over my eyes and get all comfy and then play a drum track because, you know, it would have been nice to have someone personally drumming there for me, but that wasn't the case. So I would play a recording of Sandra Ingerman playing her medicine drum and go into that altered state of communication with the plant spirits where the plant spirits reside, like in that spirit plane. And that's where a lot of information comes through for me. So I actually have my journal here with me. Um, I was reading through all of the notes I would take after coming out of those journeys for every single one of the plants in Jen's book. And it was so rich with information and imagery and messages and, you know, experiences and sometimes emotional release and all sorts of things. So yeah, <laughs> it's a rich world. It's such a rich world. And um, I would mirror many of the things also that you and Jen just shared. And I would I would add in that for me, one of the really powerful ways that um that I experience plant communication is through dreaming. And many plant spirits show up in my dreams and help guide and move me or receive medicine from them in that space. And so I'm so grateful for all the, I don't know, the vast, the infinite ways that we can connect and experience um, communication with plants. Um, one of the things, um, and again, because I know both of you so well, I did, as I was in conversation with people over the last couple of weeks, ask them, you know, what are you really interested in? Like plant communication, what is that? And um, this circles back, Jen, to one of the things that you mentioned about how we have this, um, this tendency to discount things right away, you know, to doubt or to, and one of the questions I most consent consistently received from people that they were curious about is, well, how do I know if it's real? How do I know if this, if the plant communication would be real or if I'm just making this all up? And I was like, good question. So Jen, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, that's the number one issue I hear with some people <laughs> in my classes. And, and also when I tell them that I communicate with plants, that's also the number one question. And so I kind of go both ways. So one, 
uh, and I mentioned her in my book, I have a dear friend, Marjorie, who's very psychic and does a lot of clairvoyant work. And she always tells me nothing's real. Like everything that we experience is made up. And when you start looking about at it, you're like, oh yeah, everything that we do experience is perception. We perceive all of it. We can never get a full picture of it. So, so I do, I say that just because it allows us to just let go of it. Like, oh, well, if it's all not real, then who cares? But also I go back to what I was saying is that in the beginning, we just want to use our keen observation and innocent perception. And when you have the experiences over and over again, you start to see a pattern. And so a pattern or a story starts to emerge from each plant. And sometimes in very strange ways that you're not expecting them to come. And, um, and so over time, you know, the more you experience it, the more you can't um, discredit the information that you're getting. It's just like, oh, this makes so much sense. And, and I, you know, it's the best information I've gotten. So like, I'm going to rely on this. I'm going to listen to it. And like I said, even now to this day, for me, I still have, I still get information that feels like that might be a little too big of a statement for me to say right away. So I'll put a question mark there and just, you know, give it time, investigate. Maybe I want to go research and see what other people have to say, but I always encourage people to wait on the research to have your own experience first, because the plants are such huge beings with such an enormous wealth of knowledge. And, you know, the best herb books have a chapter written about them. And what I always say is, you know, we could have, each plant could have their own encyclopedia set and we still wouldn't scratch the end of the, the information. So, um, so it's best to get your own information first. And then, yeah, we can check with others and um, whether it's written or other people having uh, experiences with plants. I mean, that's that's another way is when you have a, like Pam's going to have a Hawthorne initiation this weekend. And so when you get to have like a whole group of people that are working with one plant together, you start to see a communal experience and communal information coming forward. And sometimes it makes sense like Hawthorne we know is really good for the heart. So I'm imagining people are going to have heart experiences but other times something else will come up that it's not something that we previously knew about the plant. And so when you start to have a group of people working with the same plant, um, it becomes harder to deny the information. So what I'm really hearing from you too in the first part, which I think is really important to, to stress is that we need to free ourselves from the strappings A, of perfection or imagination versus reality. And then could you unpack, you use the phrase innocent perception, mm -hmm. which I, of course I know what that is, but that's not a phrase that everybody knows. So yeah. can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So innocent perception is just like when, so for instance, I often talk about this with dandelion. So we all know who dandelion is. We've all had experiences with dandelion. And if you're an herbalist, then you know, like all the healing properties of dandelion. So if you're going to go talk to dandelion, we could go up and be like, okay, dandelion, why well, know this, 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 and this, and this of you? And so that's it. That's all there is to know about you. And if we do that, it just closes the doors of communication. Just like, you know, your partner or your best friend, you're like, oh, well, I know everything about you. There's nothing more to discover. And so innocent perception is about going back into that childlike innocence as if this is the very first time that you are experiencing dandelion. Every single time that you go to sit with dandelion, it's your very first time. And going in just like, what else is there? Going in with that awe and that wonder and knowing that there's more to learn and um, just, you know, 
having fun and delighting in it. And in same with a, with a partner, it's just like, oh, there's so much more here. Like, that's really curious. Let's go there. Let's look at this. So that's what I mean by innocent perception, have, going without preconceived judgment. Mm-hmm. And that leads us right into the next thing that I would love to talk about, <laughs> um, which is that I'd like to, if I can, share a little experience I had that was completely brought forward, you know, by your book. And um, in this experience, um, hopefully most of the people on our call receive our weekly emails that are earth rights, they're nature inspirations, and they come with a beautiful photo and a quote. And leading up to your webinar today, Jen and Lillian, we wanted to share quotes from the book and, you know, images. And Rebecca, who's helping us today, helps us to put those together. So she sends these to me and she asked me to look at them. And I opened the first one, and it's this beautiful quote from you with Black-Eyed Susan with these raindrops on it. No doubt it's a gorgeous photo. And speaking of judgment, I looked at that, and I hadn't gotten your book yet to read, so I had no idea. I saw that, and I'm like, no, I love Black-Eyed Susan, but for me, she's a fluffy flower. Jen is so deep and so it's like, you know, this isn't nettles or mugwort or dandelion or hemlock or, you know, I'm like, no, too fluffy. So I reach out to Rebecca and I'm like, hey, can we change the photo? I even sent it to you, Jen. Usually Rebecca and I, like one email, we're good. We've got them dialed in. I think we exchanged 10 or 15 emails and we may have even talked on the phone. And finally she's like, look, I just... This is the picture. I just feel it. I want to use it. And I was like, okay. And so I put it out. Then I get your book and I open it up. And there is an entire chapter on Black-Eyed Susan. And I was just, you know, blown away. And then I start to read your chapter. And you're talking about your resistance to including Black-Eyed Susan in the book, which is such a similar experience that I had from different extremes. And then I talked to you on the phone about it just yesterday, actually. And you're like, yeah, it's such a shadow plant. Like I didn't, it was hard for me to include. I'm like, shadow? was fluffy. I'm like, I didn't get that from her chapter. So I went back and read your chapter yesterday. And I was like, oh. Yeah, that's right. All the trauma, blah, blah, blah. But you also speak about um, the perception and kind of taking glasses off. And I realized that the first time that I read that chapter, I was in such a state of joy. Also, I would say, brought on by the journey that I was having, uh, reading your book and going through the plant process, such joy with plants. That's all I saw. All I saw were the parts that you wrote about the colors and the light. And so, and then just one more bit, and then I'm going to pass it to you to speak about this. When I was out there yesterday, (laughs) right after I hung the phone up with you, like hung the phone up, we're talking about Black-Eyed Susan. I'm standing on my porch looking at Black-Eyed Susan and a raven lands on the fence right above the Black-Eyed Susan. And I heard Black-Eyed Susan say, and one of us is going to bloom and we want to go tomorrow. And I was like, no way. You guys are so tight. But I went out this morning. I don't know if, can you see that? Mm-hmm. 
And there she is. And so I really feel like Black Eyed Susan is guiding this whole thing. Yeah. So yes, we did talk about this yesterday. And what um so I thought more about it and I was just like, I had to laugh. So it's perfect that you bring this up with innocent perception because um I think I say this in the book that as a young adult, I never wanted to plant black-eyed Susans around because it was like one of the plants that everybody in this area plants. And I have this tendency of like, if it's something that is just in everybody's yards, I get, I just want something different. So I never wanted to plant them. And I thought that they were just kind of like foo-foo-y. And I don't know if it was when I, once I had the connection with black-eyed Susan, or maybe I started before, but actually Pam was teaching a plant communication class down here in Pennsylvania, and I was assisting, and I was, you know, there to assist. I wasn't expecting to have any experience, and lo and behold, like, as soon as I pulled in, black-eyed Susan caught my attention. I was just like, oh, you're beautiful, but it turned out I was able to spend time with black-eyed Susan, and I learned so much, and, um, and at the time, I had this really um, I had these two big issues that were going on with clients that I wanted to see, like, how can I support them? And it turned out that, so that's what I do when I have a question of like, I don't know what to do with this. Or I, if I have a client that there's something coming up and I don't know how to handle it or what plant to work with, I just put it out there and I see who shows up. And so I did thinking it would be two separate plants. And instead it was black eyed Susan and black eyed Susan solved these two very different issues for me. And also showed me um, a big healing technique that we we use in the apprenticeship and in my healing practice. But as you said, um, when it came time to the book, so when I first started this book, I had 33 plants I was going to write about. <laughs> and it didn't take me long to realize. I mean, for those of you who know me, that's just like so classic me. But it didn't take me long to realize like, oh my gosh, 33 plants. This is going to be like a thousand page book, or I'm only going to have a paragraph on each of them. So we cut it back down to, by we, the plants cut it down to 16 plants. And I knew we wanted to talk about light because of course plants are, you know, <laughs> they're light bringers. It's such a key component to working with plants. And so for me and what I teach in my practice, the plant I work with most when it comes to light is St. John's wort. And, and St. John's wort is such a big ally for me. And I love St. John's wort, but the plants just kept insisting that it had to be black eyed Susan. And I'm like, I don't want to include Black Eyed Susan. <laughs> I just didn't want to, but they just kept insisting. And, and the thing is, is so like when you were saying, you know, Black Eyed Susan's all fluff for me, Black Eyed Susan's like, we're talking about trauma. We're talking about shifting our, the story and looking at things from a different perspective. And it was really like, it's really hard. And, and in my book, that's the chapter that I've probably rewrote that chapter at least 30 times. It was the most challenging chapter to write. And, and all because um, I think it is because Black Eyed Susan just encourages us to look at things from different perspectives. And, and also, you know, trauma is not an easy subject to discuss. And like, how can we discuss this? Um, you know, it's part of my everyday life because I'm helping people with trauma all the time and also trying to undo my own trauma but not everybody wants to like go there. So how can we discuss this in a way that's not gonna wanna make people throw the book out and like just run away? Like I'm done with communicating with plants now. So um, so I do think it's really funny that Black Eyed Susan is showing up so big. And, um, and Lillian, I wanna bring you in on this because you put that illustration up and I've never asked you about this. So I'm so curious about your experience creating that illustration. And actually I'm gonna pause before, because 
I did tell Alicia this, and I don't know if you'll be able to see this because the screen's so small. But when I got the books, um, I saw, you know, I've seen every aspect of this book. I've never, of course, held it in person. But the one thing they didn't show me was the spine. And so when the book came, I like had it sitting there and I was like, oh my gosh, Black Eyed Susan's on the spine. That's the only plant that's on the spine here. And I just think, I just think it's so interesting that that's the plant that was there. Um, so anyways, Lillian, what's your experience with working for the illustration or the chapter? Okay, so I have a really funny uh, confession about my experience with the Black Eyed Susan illustration. So for all of the other plants, I have like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of information and imagery and journeys they took me on. And, you know, just like this clear, oh, this is your spirit. Um, and and it's, yeah, it was rich. I, I was reading through all of those this morning. So it was this really sweet experience. And for Black Eyed Susan, I have just a few little lines and it says, I curled up in a ball on the couch and I napped through the whole drumming. <laughs> so honestly, I think that that plant in this big shift in perspective was like kind of giving me a little break. It was, it was actually very restorative for me, a restorative experience of um, working on that illustration. It just came through really simply and um, should I bring it up again? Or I don't know. Yes, would you bring it up again? Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, so it turned out to be this really sweet and kind of simple illustration. And I don't know if, if people saw, but here's this tiny little person right here, you know, um, looking up at this huge big plant like shifting perspective it kind of reminds me of the murals that we saw at mm -hmm. Dominator, um where they would be like these gorgeous paintings of plants that were massive and in all of the these murals the humans would be really small and it was this invitation to take a different perspective and look at things from a different vantage point and that's how this drawing turned out well, and that was my experience when I first sat with Black Eyed Susan was that I was like that little tiny and, and you know, in this giant forest of um, of a plant. So I thought I was like, oh, my gosh, Lillian captured my experience so well. <laughs> While I'm sharing my screen, Jen, I'm curious if there's any other illustrations that you want me to bring up or if you want to speak about. Well, I know who I want, but Alicia, is there any place you want to take us before I just take over? <laughs> it is funny with you getting interviewed, huh? Well, it's your book and it's your illustrations. And we have been so, I've been so in sync with your book that my guess honestly would be is that the next place that you would take us with an illustration is the next place that I would take us. So go ahead. I would say corn. Let's look at the corn one. So Lillian, I, I want to hear something first, yeah. Jen. Yeah. Um, for those of you who are going to be listening later on the podcast, um, in the description, we're going to drop a link to the page where you can come view these images on the video. Um, I'm not quite sure what I was going to say now, but um, like, I'm I just I'm so curious more from you, Lillian, about your experience with these. But also, I just want to say for myself, it was um, 
So from the beginning, when I, when I was knew I was going to write a book, I knew I wanted to have an illustration for each plant. And I, I really thought like, who would, who would be that person? And from the very beginning, Lillian was the only one that I could think of. And it's been such an incredible process to have um, her send in these, these images. And it's just like, oh my gosh, she just put the whole, she, she captures the spirit so well. And she put the, the chapter into um, form in such a way that I can't even begin to imagine how one does that. <laughs> um, but this one in particular, I wept when I first saw this image and it's still, I still feel teary-eyed. Um, it's so beautiful. And um, yeah, it's just such an honor to have um, Lillian there. And, and it adds, your illustrations add such a depth to the book that wouldn't be there otherwise. And for my, um, my publisher, I mean, Lillian knows a little bit about this, but I don't know if you know all of it. You know, my publisher would try to send different images to put in like on the cover of the, the book or as little placeholders throughout the book. And they would they were cute images. They were nice images. And my publisher really liked them. But I'm like, no, they don't have the same energy that Lillian's do. And they just felt so wrong. And so these, these images just feel like um, an incredible, um, an incredible gift to the book. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Definitely um, having just finished the book this morning. <laughs> Um, one of the things that I appreciate so much about it, um, and the journey that I was taken on, um, was the connection between how truthful you were in the book, Jen, like vulnerable, like deep truth, like sharing the plants simultaneously, like guiding me through a plant process. And then this union with the illustration, I just feel like with the illustrations, it was the sprinkling of magic, like that extra sprinkle of magic. And then also, I don't know, Lillian, like it's like truth and nakedness, like are the two things that come to mind, the words with the, um, with the illustrations. And I'm wondering if um, Jen and then you, Lillian, Jen, if you could share a little bit about, you know, your plant communication experience with corn. Yeah. So, um, so I, I live in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So um, they've been knocking for me to share this. So one, I apologize for the coughing. I have been sick for a while, but I was recovering. And then we got this smoke from the wildfires, um, which is such, it's for us on the East Coast, it's just so shocking. It's not something we're used to at all. And um, so that's where I live is Lancaster County. We're um, a big farming community. So uh, there's fields and fields and fields of corn everywhere. And when growing up, sweet corn, it was a big deal. It was like the height of the whole summer was sweet corn. And it was just such a special, um, special plant. Um, but really, my connection with corn actually came again through Pam because they, when I did my apprenticeship with Pam, she and Mark gave us seeds from the special corn that the Tutsumayan grow that came from Martin Prechtel. And, um, and it was, it's very sacred corn. He talks about this in the unlikely piece of Kuchimakwik. And um, it's very sweet, um, powerful, 
emotional story. So I highly recommend that book and reading it. I tell a little bit of the story in my book, but um, I'm not going to get into all of that. But um, it just felt like such an honor to grow this corn. And so since then, I mean, I, I do share in the book that I made the mistake of just thinking this corn was so sacred that I, I, I wasn't worthy again of growing this corn and I couldn't protect the corn because we are, we're surrounded by GMO corn. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, I put it on the altar and then the mice have themselves, they thought it was a really great gift and offering that I gave them. So um, fortunately, you know, we live in the universe of second chances. So um, I got a second chance. And so from that time, I've been growing this corn every year. I'm actually about to plant it if the once the smoke clears. Um, I always wait so that we don't interfere with the GMO around here. But it's just been such a process to um, connect with corn and especially this really ancient strain that's been so loved and nourished and also not from this area. And um, one of the things that I learned or discovered from this corn is we I like to grow her near our porch um, just because I'd like to hear the wind growing through the corn. And when my students are here, the corn actually starts to grow towards them. When they leave, it you know, stands up straight again. But when they're here, the corn is like, wants to be part of our um, connection and our communication. And I do tell the story in, in the book that uh, I think it was during COVID um, was a year that I planted this corn and normally I sing to the corn throughout the season and I really celebrate, you know, when the corn first comes out of the earth, it's just like, it's big celebration time. I'm, I'm so excited, I'm dancing and I'm singing to corn. But during COVID, I was so overwhelmed that I didn't sing to, to my corn. And that year, the corn that I harvested was completely deformed. There was hardly any kernels, there was hardly any cobs. And it really reminded me that we need to give our songs and our prayers to these sacred plants and just really honor them. And, um, and in this chapter, uh, I also, I offer an apology for all the ways that we've abused corn. And so this is, I think um, Lillian's, this, this image that Lillian created, I feel like just embodies that, the, this incredible spirit of corn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lillian, can you tell us about this illustration? It is quite special. Yeah, it's really sweet because a lot of my experience on my journey with connecting with corn spirit before drawing this is a lot of what Jen shared already, actually. Um, first of all, I, I start each of my, you know, journeys uh, into the plant spirit realm by going in a canoe across a lake. That's like the threshold place um, of entering into another dimension of being with the plant spirits. And usually this canoe that I'm in, you know, in my, in my journey vision is like your average old, uh, you know, like at a cabin at a lake canoe, you know? Um, but as it started going across the lake, it, it transformed into a really old, old, like dugout canoe. Um, and I started going back in time, like going back in kind of you know, not human time, but like earth time. Started going back in earth time, which is was a new experience for me and landed on Turtle Island, on ancient North America and even South America, but, um, but in the past and was just transported immediately to these communities in reverent relationship with corn. And it was so beautiful. And these 
people who I were seeing were, um, like Jen said, the importance of singing to her corn, right? Like they were doing corn ceremonies and I immediately teared up. It was really emotional and super beautiful, like speaking to my heart, like that human relationship with the plant world and humans ancient relationship with corn. So I was seeing, you know, people um, doing their songs, doing their dance, being in this loving relationship. And I have in my notes, corn and humans are one being. And I was feeling the pollen and the tassels and like this really earthy and fertile kind of sensual connection to corn spirit. And then I started drifting into memories of my own experiences with corn, like really specific corn patches and past gardens that I've lived with. And I think in that time of communion with corn, I was starting to feel like I was veering off a little bit. So um, I reset my intention and, you know, in my mind, I was like, okay, come back to the intention of my journey and saw hands, human hands holding corn. And again, just started crying more like the, yeah, this like emotional remembering. Um, and interestingly, corn is the only illustration in the book that's personified mm-hmm. with as a human because of corn's rich, ancient relationship with humanity and with our hands so the hands were a part of it right like the seeds spilling out and um yeah and Jen shared just like lots of really beautiful complimentary words and I just really want to say like how much of an honor it was to receive this request from her in the very beginning of the birthing of this book together to be asked to do the drawings for it um is, was just such a gift. And I'm so, so grateful to have worked with her and with each of these plant spirits to infuse the book with illustrations. Mm. So I'm super grateful to Jen for asking me to be a part in, a part in this and yeah, to contribute to her book in this way. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly is alchemy with the two of you have put together. There's definitely no doubt. And, um, Jen, when I read the chapter on corn, I was deeply touched by your forgiveness letter, your forgiveness poem. Mm-hmm. And um, and that kind of leads me towards Rosemary. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you could speak into Rosemary. Also, I just want to say that I was blown away by your honesty in that chapter. <laughs> I'm not totally sure um, what you want me to say about Rosemary, but I will say that I um, I start the chapter off by making the admission that I am a Rosemary killer, and um, and in that is uh, you know people have different reactions when I say that, and I've gotten a lot of shame for it, which is really interesting because I put it out. I my grandmother was um, having to move into basically like hospital care. And um, so we were cleaning out her apartment and she had this gorgeous rosemary plant and nobody else wanted it. And I was trying to like, please somebody take this rosemary plant because I have killed probably hundreds of them. And, um, and yet rosemary keeps showing up on my doorstep again. And, um, and in that it's the deep forgiveness that I get from the plant um, that every time rosemary just forgives me is like, we're gonna have another, another chance at it. But I first made that admission publicly because 
I was looking for help. I didn't want to kill this little plant that was so beautiful. I had a little fairy figurine in, and I was just like, please, somebody help me. And instead of anybody giving me like help, they're just like, oh, you shouldn't put that out there. You're like, you're putting the energy out. And I'm like, no, I'm saying this because I have, I have killed so many of them and I don't want to be in this place anymore. I want to shift that, but I don't know what to do. It's beyond my abilities. And, and I think that's one of the concepts. And I think I talk about it in a different chapter, but I try to bring forward in the book is that we, um, we received information from the plants that we, that we need at that time. But we also have to continue working our own like growth and our own human learning to help us understand some of the information that we get. So if we don't, if we have blocks or we have limitations, we're not going to, we might get information, but it's not going to make sense to us. And so I know I had asked Rosemary countless times how to help her and I wasn't getting the information. So I was reaching out to other humans to be like, hey, somebody who's had success, please help me. And um and of course that plant to die. And um, I have new ones that I'm starting with again this year. So I'm gonna hope that somewhere along the line, I'm gonna learn the lesson. I've tried all kinds of things, but in the meantime, it's just been this incredible journey of forgiveness. And the plants, I mean, the plants, I think that's one of the things that we don't pay enough attention to is just how much the plants forgive us and, um, and want to support us and want to help us to just really step into who we're meant to be and step into this relationship with all of nature and, and, and into ourselves. Like really, um, I love this image. So it's just bringing the words forward of like part of Rosemary's gift is helping us to remember the truth of who we are and, and who we're meant to be, which um, I, I talk about it, I think more in the Tulsi chapter, but it's about being a sacred human, being a person who recognizes the sacred in all life and brings the sacred forward in every act and remembers our commitment to all of our kin. Um, and that's one of the many lessons of um, Rosemary and, and just the depth of forgiveness mm -hmm. and the humbleness that that takes to, like, to, to recognize that we need to be forgiven because so much we want to not. <laughs> either we we go both ways either we want to like be all shame like oh my gosh humans are so horrible or we want to like not look at um the what we've done to the earth and to the plants and at the center of all of it it's about forgiveness mm -hmm. i think it's also about the infinite love and giving capacity that plants have like their true desire just to give everything to us and um, there's a plant that I love so much that I always kill as well. Mm -hmm. I, I don't kill it. I feel like she gives her life to me and all of her medicine, like over and over again. And when I read this chapter, I was also really deeply touched that this plant came from your grandmother, mm -hmm. you know, that she's working maybe even to heal like ancestral trauma or memory and just how they know and reading this chapter in your book really started to shift my perception a little bit with those plants that I can't grow so well it's not that we don't have a good relationship it's that I'm loved so much by them that they want to give me and give us everything um and that leads me to want to speak a little bit about giving back mm -hmm. and reciprocity and 
would really love to hear what you um, and then Lillian have to say about that. So first I gotta say something that was coming up when you were talking about rosemary there or plants and what was coming forward is, um, so one, when you say about my grandmother, I didn't even think about this until you said it. So thank you, Alicia. But my, you know, it was really my grandfather that was the, the gardener, the grower. This is my um, maternal grandparents. But my maternal grandmother always had gorgeous rosemary plants growing around her. And so at this time she was in an apartment building. So she no longer had outside space. So she still, she had this plant with her for quite a while. Um, but the other part that was coming forward is I'm thinking about when I was in California and we worked with um, where I met Lillian and we worked with Rosemary there and, you know, Rosemary's like these huge bushes. And so where I live, this is not the place for where Rosemary's meant to grow. So I'm also like forcing Rosemary into really difficult growing standards and a growing system. And so, um, so I think there's something in that too, of just like respecting the, um, the growth parameters of each plant. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to sit with that one more <laughs> as I continue to want to be in deep relationship with the rosemary. But, um, and I, and to that, I want to say I am in deep relationship with rosemary, but physical rosemary. Um, so reciprocity, that's like the basis of everything, you know? So we started by talking about the heart and the heart is the key to getting us into this deep relationship with nature, but um, we owe them everything. Like I start off my, my chapter or my introduction with, I owe my life to plants. And I mean that very deep, like deeply into my cells. I mean that on so many levels that yes, the plants provide us life and the plants give us um, food and air to breathe and, you know, soil, they, they just provide so much. And, and of course we wouldn't have life if we didn't have this gorgeous earth, we would um, be very different. So for all of that they give us, it is our requirement to offer reciprocity back. And, um, and I feel like that is meant to be part of our everyday moments. And, um, and there's no limit to how we can engage in reciprocity, but it's just continually offering our gratitude, offering our gifts. And, you know, so the ways that, um, that often we talk about in the plant world of offering reciprocity is through the gifts of tobacco and corn, which are indigenous gifts for the peoples of this land here. And, um, and they're, that's beautiful, but, but my question I asked to everybody else is like, well, just do these have meaning for you? Because that, that tobacco, that corn was grown with prayer. It was grown with intention. It was harvested with prayer and song and grinding corn by hand is not an easy task, you know? So it has a very different feel than buying it off the shelves. So I think it's important that we give what what's important to us as well as what the plants or what the other beings of nature want from us. And sometimes the best form of reciprocity is to speak up um, and to, you know, take action and really defend the, the earth, the plants, the waters, the, um, to take part in developing a relationship with the land around us. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jen. And you, Lillian, do you want to speak to that? Hmm. There are so, so many ways to give back, right? And so often when I am giving thanks to the plants, it feels so humble because of how much I feel they give to me, which like Jen said, is literally everything. My breath, my life, my body, my spiritual development, my medicine, my food, right? You know, everything comes from them. So the gestures always feel like, you know, uh, 
yeah, just, you know, like just so humbled and um, from this deep place in my heart. And, you know, Jen gave many beautiful examples, like, you know, offering prayers, offering your, your voice, offering song, offering, you know, water, uh, you know, a spirit plate of some food, like, um, I think one act of reciprocity that's really coming up for me right now, just in a really personal way that I want to speak to is like, gifting the plants my time, like really making space for them in my life, like that it's so easy to kind of go about life in this busy way and like stay indoors and think that, you know, oh, these things that I have to do are so important that are, um, that take away from building relationship. So for me, it's kind of like this reprioritizing of like, maybe even it's just a moment, but just be outside, just like have the hand on the tree, just like, you know, be in the garden, like just giving thanks, 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 thanks. Like, I'm so grateful for all of you here, you know, or just, just making space and carving time for me feels like, um, yeah, a way that I, um, right now in my life want to be giving more so that my relationships can flourish with these beings that I love so deeply and reside in such a special place in my heart. Definitely, Lillian had that experience um, with the book in this last couple weeks, you know, um, like re-experiencing spaciousness, like needing to take the time to read the book so we could actually have the interview today. <laughs> but what I discovered is that once I started making that time, like all the plants started showing up and loving me so much. I was just overjoyed. And then I also like loved them so much. I just felt this big ball of light, like starting to grow in my chest. And I know that that ball of light like nourishes life. When I come from that place, everything I do is nourishing and is definitely ups my reciprocal relationships. So I can't believe that we're like nearly to the end of our time. Um, if you, well, I can't even say that we have time for questions. Maybe we'll have to do this again with members <laughs> and just have a whole like um, community discussion. I mean, well, I love the two of you so much anyways. I feel like you're incredible <clears throat> healers and plant people, writers, illustrators. Um, so it goes fast when you're spending time with people and beings that you love. So I'm going to um, ask you one last question, um, Jen, before we close down. And that would be, either from your book or just in general from um, the realm of communicating with plants, like if the whole world was going to take one thing up from it, what would you want that thing to be? That you are loved. Like that's, that's the message that the plants kept saying again and again throughout the book. And, and in my own life, it's just, they just keep reminding us that that we are loved, we are loved for who we are as we are. And um, yeah, there's nothing more that I need to say about that. <laughs> That's a good message. It's a good message to be absorbed by all beings in the world. Mm -hmm. 
Um, if you want to learn more about Jen's work um, or you want to get communicating with um, plants, you can visit her website at www.bridgetsway.com. And if you want to learn more about Lillian and her work, you can visit her at earthprayer.love. And there was actually Laura, also a friend of ours, was like, do you know, are they thinking of a coloring book or some kind of companion? Because those illustrations are just begging me to color them in. So we're going to look forward to what, <clears throat> what else comes forward from this. And thank you both so much for um, really opening yourselves up today in the webinar, but to open yourselves up so widely um, with so much love and vulnerability through the illustrations and also through the book. I'm really in deep, was deeply touched and still am. So thank you both for that. Do you have any parting um, comments before I do a few public service announcements? Just want to say thank you. Um, thanks to everyone. Thanks, of course, to you, Alicia, and to all my sisters at One who've been um, so incredibly supportive. And we didn't mention it, but Pam also wrote the foreword for this book um, and kind of walked me through the stages when, I, when you know, it's not an easy feat. <laughs> it's a lot. And mostly it's that uh, it, you have to face your own um, limiting beliefs. And so Pam was really a great support through all of it. Mm -hmm. And um, and of course, thank you to Lillian for those gorgeous illustrations and just bringing my dream to life. Mm. Lillian, do you want to share anything here as we're closing out? Mm, I just, yeah, thank you, Jen, for writing this book. Thank you for putting this amazing body of wisdom out into the world. I just start getting emotional too. <laughs> It's so beautiful and it's so needed. And you're really, I'm just honoring you for your part in this reawakening, you know, that is um, embodied in this book and everything from your life experience that you've put into it to share. And I know that everyone who will read it will just gain so much. <laughs> so I thank you. And I thank all of the plants, of course, <laughs> um, for their part in it too. And um yeah, and just thank you, Alicia, for holding this space today. And I'm really grateful for everyone who's been here with us today. Thanks for being in this circle together. And to those who might be listening to the recording later, I'm just grateful for this time together. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. And it's been so fun to see so many of you like over and over again at our, um, our events lately. It's, it feels good to be in community. Um, and so I just wanna let you know that we've had a, a whole week today really about communicating and that is gonna continue next week. So next week, Jen is gonna be back on interviewing and she is gonna be interviewing Dr. Amanda Kemp who will be speaking about um, how to create regenerative racial justice, but with a model that's sourced from nature, it's sourced from the earth. So this week we've been focused on flowers and plants, communicating from the heart. And next week it's gonna be with our fellow humans and um, communicating well with diversity. And then on <clears throat> later this month on June 22nd, Lillian and I and Julie Caldwell who's also a Visioning Council member and is the owner of Humble Herbals, we're gonna be hosting um, uh, 
like a screening of a replay from the Women Working for the Earth Summit with Juliana Furchi on justice for fungi. And man, she has some serious wisdom that came through her in that interview for the fungi. We just loved it. So we're going to share that with you. And then we're all going to watch it together. And then we're going to host community discussion afterwards. We're super looking forward to that. And um, you can find a replay of this webinar on our website, www.natureevolutionaries.com, um, as well as on our podcast channel, Nature Evolutionaries, which is available across lots of platforms, um, including Apple and Spotify. So again, thank you for being with us today. I really hope that you have time to go sit for just a moment with a plant today. Whichever plant is drawing your attention, maybe you could touch them, breathe them in, just take a moment to open your heart with them. You know, think if the whole world did that in one moment, like what might possibly happen? Could be a massive revolution. So Thank you so much. We love you. Have a beautiful day.